0: Welcome to The Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Anyways, all right, now we're going to get into the message. I'm done with announcements. Glad that you're here today. We're nearing the end of our summer series on the armor of God, God called Suit Up. I know it's been a long series, but I hope you've enjoyed learning the different parts of our armor. If you remember, Paul says, put on the whole armor. We need every single part of it, right? We have to remind ourselves the importance of truth, righteousness, peace, and so on. And so last week we looked at the shield of faith. It's important to remember that our faith is for us to be defended by. A lot of times we get it switched and we begin to defend our faith. We put ourselves in front of the shield. But God says, no, I don't need defense. You need defense. I've given you the shield to defend yourself. And how do we get faith? By hearing and hearing the word of God. Consuming the word of God daily, weekly, getting it into your heart and soul. It doesn't come through just one time. It's a repeat, repeat, hearing the word of God. We, we build up our shield of faith by consuming the Word of God. Next week, we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. That's when we speak out the truth of the Word of God into our life. What we've consumed comes out of us. So I hope it's the sword. I hope it's the Word of God that is speaking out of us in difficult situations. We'll talk about that more next week. But today, we're going to continue on with the helmet of salvation. Read with me from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Remember, we talked about this last week, and and, and I showed you, we had it underlined up there, there's a difference between the first three parts and the last three parts of the armor of God. You can see that the first three, they say, put on, clothe yourselves, When we start our day, we we put on our clothes. Those stay on for the whole day, but the last three say, take up. Take up the shield. Take up the helmet. Take up the sword. Those are for an as-needed basis in your day. Things will happen that you'll need to put up the shield of faith. You'll have to put up the sword and have the helmet of salvation ready for you. Now, in our suit-up series, we've been talking about superheroes putting on their armor because they're getting ready for a battle. And we've been showing clips. I decided not to show a clip this week. Uh, no particular reason, just wanted to take a break for this week. Um, <laughs> we'll get back to it next week. I've got one ready for next week, don't worry, as we close the series. But today, we're focusing on the helmets of salvation. Now, with the helmet, we can talk about a lot of different things. You know, I could have talked about Thor's helmet. I could have talked about Iron Man's helmet. Uh, there's a lot of helmets worn for protection in different situations. Uh, there are helmets in, in the army. Uh, for construction workers, you have a hard hat. You have a helmet to protect you. One of the helmets that I am most familiar with, and I would assume most people would be, is the helmet that we wear as a kid when we're riding our bike, right? We have a helmet to protect us. Now, if you're one of the cool kids, um, we didn't just have a bike helmet. We had one for skateboarding, and they were a little bit more um, protective all in the back of your head, right? If you remember those and on the sides, it it would protect you if you fell down backwards when you're skateboarding or or blading or something along those lines. And I don't know if you had rules in your household growing up, but in the Mason household, if you were leaving the house to go play with the neighbor kids and you were taking your bike, your skateboard, your rollerblades, whatever, you were definitely going to receive a don't forget your helmet when you left the house, That was a rule in the Mason household. I hope it is also a a rule in your household as kids. And can I just give a a public service announcement for this, for motorcycles? I think this is common sense, but wear, wear a helmet, okay? Just listen to your pastor on this one. Protect yourself. You're not too cool for a helmet. It is for your protection and safety. And today's message is entitled, Don't Forget Your Helmet. Don't forget your helmet. Most importantly, the helmet of salvation. I want to actually show you a picture of an example of maybe a helmet we would see in ancient times, if you can put that up on the screen. This is an example of maybe what the Roman soldiers would wear. You you see in this, you see parts of this that are for protection, right? Strong materials, uh, protection on the side, the back, going around. Um, Some other pieces of armor you would see, it would actually uh, protect your cheekbones. It would go that close in to the side of your face. But there's one element of that helmet that I don't think is as much for protection. Um, you know, there's that red plume feather part, right? I don't think that's doing a whole lot for your durability and strength. Um, I don't think that's doing much for if you are trying to stealthily attack somebody, right? Um, but what it is for is it's for the identity. You see, in battle, in the chaos of the battle, you can very easily get confused who's on my side who's not, you don't wanna assume someone's on your side that is actually coming to attack you. So wearing the armor that identifies you of which army you are part of is important. In the same way, the helmet of salvation, it is for our protection and for our safety, but it's also for our identity. That we're identifying with the army of God. And so today, as we look through the helmet of salvation, keep those things in mind. I'm going to focus, in most part, in one story today. I'm excited for that because a lot of these different elements we've talked about, truth and righteousness, I have you jumping all across the Bible, but we're going to stay, for the most part, we're going to stay in Luke chapter 19. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If you want some sermon notes, I'm thankful Scott has put together a great sermon notes package for you on the Church Center app. You go to the homepage, all the way to the bottom, we have our latest sermon notes. It has our scripture, our points, and a chance for you to add your own notes in and send an email to yourself. Isn't that cool? I think that's cool. You can check that on Church Center and the the Uversion Bible app. It's also on there. Anyways, hope that's given you enough time as we turn to Luke 19 and the story of salvation that came to the house of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, let's read verses 1 through 10. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Today we're going to break down the story of Zacchaeus, And the salvation offered him by Jesus Christ. We're going to start with with this setting. Jesus is entering Jericho. Jericho is a major toll collection point for goods passing east to west. Who doesn't love a good toll passing point, right? Always a great place to have a story. And Jesus is entering Jericho, and there's a man there who lived there named Zacchaeus. And it says he was a chief tax collector I don't know why it explains that he was a chief tax collector I couldn't find that that list that label anywhere else in the New Testament and I wonder if it was showing the exclusivity of that title you see there were many tax collectors but Zacchaeus might have been chief among them and he was hated he was hated by the Jews not only because he was taxing, taxing the people, not, be, not, not just because the people hated being taxed, but because tax collectors could get away with charging extra far beyond the actual tax and they would receive that profit margin. They were motivated to make those taxes as high as they possibly could. That's why if you look at Luke chapter 3, there are a group of tax collectors that came to John the Baptist. And they said, how can we get right with God? And John the Baptist said, he said, by collecting no more than what's expected. John the Baptist didn't say, quit your job. What you're doing is wrong. No, he said simply, don't be corrupt in what you're doing. Live within your means. Don't charge people more than what you need to. Luke explains this, that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, which means he could have been the worst of the worst, the hated amongst the most hated. But he also points out that he was rich. I think it's safe to assume that he was rich because of the corrupt way in which he was doing his job. But yet while this man was rich, probably corrupt, hated by the Jews, all these things and yet he was seeking Jesus. We can assume that he had heard stories, maybe, of Jesus' teaching about how Jesus would heal the blind, set captives free, perform miracles, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. There's only one problem. Zacchaeus was short. And uh, I I don't point fingers at other people, but obviously there are people in our life that are shorter than one another, right? Don't point out anybody here. Um, There's a story in my family. Um, I didn't plan to say this, but um, my parents, they've been attending the church for a while. And I'm not going to point out who's the shortest person in our family. That would be mean. We're not going to do that. Um, But there was one time where uh, my mom had a, a conversation with me and my brothers, and uh, this was, a, this was a, a moment that I'll never forget because my mom was being honest about the feedback as a parent. And she said to us, she was like, you know, sons, am I ever, am I ever short with you? Am I ever being rude or snippy or, or too fast to respond to you? And, and my younger brother said in response, mom, you're always short with us. And, uh, and that did not go that well. That may be the last time that my mom was ever honest or vulnerable with her sons after that. But I'm just thankful that was Andrew that said that, not me. Um, <laughs> but there might be some short people that can relate to it's hard to see over the crowd sometimes. Uh, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible that Zac- Zacchaeus was under five feet tall. And, and so when he went to, to see, he could not see over the crowd, and he went to a sycamore tree to climb over and, and be atop of everything. A sycamore tree was typically easy to climb. There were branches low to the ground for people to climb up. And when Zacchaeus got up there, he was ready. And Zacchaeus walked by, or I'm sorry, when Jesus walked by, Jesus stopped and called out his name. Not only did Jesus call out Zacchaeus' name, he said, I'm staying at your house today. Typically, I don't encourage people to invite themselves over to other people's house. That can be considered rude. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. But Jesus is God. He can kind of get away with these things. And there's a reason for it. And it says that when Zacchaeus hurried down from the tree, and then it says that he received Jesus joyfully. And our first point when it comes to salvation is that salvation is real joy. Salvation is real joy. When Jesus, when salvation comes to us, when we receive the free gift of deliverance from our sin and we're accepted into the Lamb's book of life, it should fill us with the most real and genuine joy that we can ever possibly imagine. Amen. Think about when you receive a gift here on earth. You receive something for Christmas or your birthday, you didn't do anything to deserve that gift but someone thought about you thought about what you might want or need and they gave it to you freely do you know that when jesus came to earth thousands of years ago died on the cross forgave you of your sins he did this he gave this gift with you in mind he thought about each and every person on this planet that we would be in need of a savior and if that doesn't fill you with joy i don't know what will it is the greatest joy that we could have, the assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Anybody awake today? Amen. We should have joy in the house of the Lord when we worship God. Yes. Sometimes I look out across the congregation, I'm like, are you joyful to be worshiping God? Oh yes, very joyful. Okay, well, maybe let your face know that and, and they can work together um, and you can look up a little bit happier to be here. We should be joyful when we Read the word of God together. We should be joyful when when we even give. The Bible says a cheerful giver, right? We should be glad that I've got money because God has blessed me and I'm ready to bless somebody else with with what God has given me. Joy in our life. There should be joy in our salvation. Joy accompanies our relationship with God. Joy in the church. David had this to say about joy. Look at at Psalm 51 for a minute. I'm going to show you Psalm 51, verse 8. David said this. He said, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I love how it starts there. David says, make me hear joy again. How does he want to experience joy? It's through the forgiveness of his sins. It turns us from distress to joy and forgiveness when salvation comes. David says, restore The joy of my salvation. You see, when we don't confess our sins, we separate ourselves from God. It's not that God takes away joy from your life. We just acknowledge when there's an absence of God's presence, we struggle, we feel lost, we feel lonely, but in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And so when we come back into relationship through confession and forgiveness, we are reconnecting to the joy of our life. We sense that presence. We sense that nearness. And of all people to say this, David said it. Do you know when David wrote this? It was after he had an affair with Bathsheba. It was after he planned to have the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. It was when the prophet Nathan came up to him and said, this is not right what you're doing. You need to fix this. And David struggling. He was in need of restoration. He was lacking joy. But when he confessed his sin to God, when he said, God, please hide away, blot out my sins and my iniquities, create a clean heart, a right spirit, that was when the restoration of joy took place. Salvation comes when we confess our sins. People think, oh, I, I need to... Be saved, be, and, and I'm going to receive guilt in the church and, and, and shame and condemnation. Because of, but the Bible says there's no condemnation when someone is in Christ Jesus. We don't confess our sins to receive guilt and shame. We, re- we confess because we need to receive the joy of being back in his presence. When we confess our sin and get right before God, he hides our sins. He gives us a clean heart. He restores us. Confession is not for shame. It's to restore joy. Zacchaeus was joyful to accept Jesus because no one else would accept him. Everyone else knew of him and they hated him, but, but Jesus called out Zacchaeus and said, I'm going to come to your house today. I want to spend time with you. Isn't it a joy to be able to spend time with Jesus? I know we don't always feel that way. I remember earlier this week, I was like, I got to get up and read the Bible. Can, can, I, can I confess that to you today? I don't always get up right out. oh, it's 7 a.m., 6 a.m., time to get up and read the Bible. I can't wait to open it up. That's not always how I feel. It's like, okay, i got to start the day. God, I don't feel like it. It's okay to be honest and say I don't feel like it sometimes. But there's joy when we spend time with the King of Kings. Joy is an indication of salvation. In fact, some scholars, some theologians believe that Zacchaeus already came to faith in that moment because his joy was to see Jesus. That salvation was there. The faith was there. Joy is an indication of salvation. Unfortunately, not everyone felt joy in that moment when Jesus called Zacchaeus down. Read verse 7 again. Verse 7, it says, And when they saw it, you can kind of say it with a little bit of attitude if you want. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. When they saw that Jesus was going into a sinner's house, they complained. The Jews hated the idea of being around the tax collectors. They didn't didn't believe that a tax collector believed in God, cared about any of the religious rules. This is how strong they they believed this. The tax collectors would never do something right before God. They they wouldn't tithe. They wouldn't give part of what belonged to them to God. So if you went and you were eating with the tax collectors, you could very possibly be eating from the table of what you were eating, what belonged to God and not you. This was an incredible sin to, to be around with these types of people. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't always have the same priority as the crowds? He said, no, first of all, I want to get alone with Zacchaeus, and I want him to feel like he belongs, because before Zacchaeus can believe and become the person God has created him to be, he has to know that he belongs to me. Belong, believe, become. Doesn't that sound like a great vision for a church, to belong, believe, and become? And it's interesting, because you and I, we get caught up in a different priority list. Oh, they, they need to get themselves cleaned up before they can even think about coming to the church. The church is a hospital for the sick people. It's a rehab center for the addiction. It's a place where broken people get mended. Not because of us, but because we're coming under the power of Jesus Christ. And while the people were complaining, when Zacchaeus knew that he belonged, look at what he said in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Salvation is real joy. And secondly, salvation is new life. Zacchaeus, it says he stood. I looked at other translations. I think it would be more correct to say that Zacchaeus stopped. When he knew that he belonged to Jesus, that Jesus cared enough to see him, say his name, and go to his house, Zacchaeus stopped what he was doing. He said, behold, meaning look, I've got this epiphany, this moment of revelation. That if I want to be like Jesus, if if Jesus loves me, I want to show my love for him back by changing who I am. I want to have a new life through Jesus Christ. You notice he goes from a man of greed to a man of generosity. He goes from fraudulence to being a fair person. He goes from lies and deception to integrity and honesty because a moment with Jesus can change you forevermore. Yes, amen. He was no longer the same person. If God has changed you from the inside, will you clap and give him praise this morning? Yes. If God has delivered you, would you clap and give him praise? If God has saved you and moved you from death to life, would you give him praise? Because the old life can disappear when Jesus walks into your life. Old habits, old desires, they don't have that same power over you because you are now accepted by Jesus. You're a changed person. When you meet Jesus, everything else just kind of pales in comparison to his glory. And when Jesus noticed Zacchaeus and he invited himself into Zacchaeus' home, it stopped Zacchaeus in his tracks. It changed him from corruption To obedience. We know that salvation, it brings new life, right? It's a fresh start. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the only requirement to be a new creation? Be in Christ. He is the only way to the Father. Jesus reconciled us to the Father. The old has passed away. This is an opportunity for new life that's available for anyone. It's for anyone. Paul says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Titus 2.11, it says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, anyone that believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. New life is available in Christ for anyone. The whole point of the story of Zacchaeus is to show that new life, that salvation is available to the outcasts of society. It's not a privilege for the rich. It's not a handout for the poor. It's for each and every person on the planet. It's for anyone that chooses to accept Jesus. And when Zacchaeus joyfully accepted Jesus into his home and showed a desire to change, what did Jesus say to him? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since He is also a son of Abraham. Salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus because he was also a son of Abraham. I wondered why Jesus had to add that last part in. Why couldn't he just say salvation has come to your house? I think what he was doing is declaring this over Zacchaeus a statement to the Jews who hated him to the people that said, no, no, you're not really a Jew. You're not part of us. Jesus is saying, yes, genetically you are, but not only that, through, through your faith in Jesus, you are also a son of Abraham, and you have faith in salvation. And for you, you might not have people in your life that doubt and question your faith and your salvation, but I wonder if there are times that you do that all on yourself. Or thoughts come into your head that I, I don't deserve this salvation. I, I'm, not really, I'm not really a Christian by the way I'm living. I, I, you try to discount your heritage in Jesus. Do you struggle to believe that you've been saved because of all the things you've done in the past? Or when you ask forgiveness and then you still struggle again and again and another mistake? Salvation is real joy, it's new life, and third point, it's new identity. You have a new identity in Christ. You are a child of God. The crowds wanted to keep Zacchaeus at that same identity as a crook, as a corrupt, cheating tax collector that he had been. I bet there were times later on in his life that Zacchaeus was still trying to turn that page, and he still had people saying, no, we don't believe you. We don't trust you. We know what you've done. Jesus said, you are a son of Abraham like everyone else. Don't let them tell you anything different than that. Friends, we cannot be a church that complains when people come through those doors that don't fit our expectations of what someone that sh- who should look like in church. When they look differently, when they act differently, dare I say, when they talk differently, we know that they, when they receive an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. I was reading a story from a pastor. He shared when he was a young pastor, he was asked to preach at a church and and he drove to the church early and he he pulled up and this this building was beautiful. I mean, what an incredible facility to have church in. But unfortunately as time went on getting closer and closer to service, not many people were walking into that auditorium. He began to become puzzled and He decided, I'm going to go outside, see if anyone is out there. He went out to the front steps, and there were some church greeters, and they were welcoming the the normal, regular attenders in. Then he says there was a, a young lady that then began to walk up the steps. And she was dressed like she had just barely gotten out of bed, disheveled, all worn out. And a church greeter stopped her and said, Young lady, we wear our best to church on Sundays. Tears began to well in this girl's eyes. and She turned away and walked back down steps to her car because a church greeter turned into a church bouncer. We cannot afford to have the mentality of grumbling and complaining when God begins to do something in someone's life that looks new and we know what their identity was, but when we say someone, when they come to Christ, they are a new creation. Be ready to expect the best. Pray for the best over people. Your identity is not in the mistakes you've made in the past. Failure's an event. It's not a person. It's not who you were in high school. It's not who you were in college. It's not your last job. It's not your last relationship. When you accept Jesus with joy as your king and savior, you become a new life and a new creation in him. His voice becomes the only thing that matters. Your identity is not what you've seen, not what you've done. Your identity becomes a saved child of God. Amen. Amen. Remember I showed you that, that picture earlier of the, the helmet, the Roman soldier. That, that helmet was for protection but it identified you as a soldier of the army that you're part of. I think that's why salvation is a helmet. Because I know there had to been times post-salvation for Zacchaeus, that discouragement would kick in. When people would say things about him, salvation has to guard our mind. We have to think differently about ourselves. Because you're not that failure. You have to take every thought captive because you are saved. You put on the full armor of God and you have to live like a soldier for Christ. We know salvation, it was the whole reason that Jesus came to earth. At the end of this story, right after Zacchaeus, Jesus said salvation belongs to you, your son of Abraham. Let me show you the last verse again. Brent, would you come up as we close here today? Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love that at the end of this story, Jesus reminds everybody what his mission was to come to earth. To remind those who complained about Jesus mingling with tax collectors, he said, this is why I came. You're missing the point. I came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation was Jesus' mission. And we as the church are meant to carry on that mission because Jesus is the head of his church, amen? We will be a church that welcomes the lost. There is no Zacchaeus that will be discouraged or condemned in this church. Would you stand with me today as we close? salvation belongs to you. Salvation is the most pure joy that you can ever experience. It's a new life. It's a new identity for you. You're not your old failures. You're not who you were in high school or college or any other part in your life. You're a new creation in him. Put on the helmet to protect yourself and to identify yourself as a son or as a daughter of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I don't want any distractions at this point. If you have never accepted Jesus into your heart, if you've never prayed that prayer before, this moment God has ordained for you today, don't wait. Please don't wait. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what can happen tomorrow. I'm telling you today, salvation wants to come to your house like Zacchaeus' never made that decision for Christ, I promise you it's the greatest joy you can feel to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, to have a good and faithful father to hear you. And if that's you, you've never received the gift. I ask, would you stretch up your hands? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray with you in mind. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Say, I want to pray that prayer today. I don't want to miss anybody. Okay. Second group of people, you've prayed that prayer before, but it's been a long time. A lot has happened since that moment. If you're willing to be honest with yourself, you say, I I prayed that prayer, but the way I've been living right now, it doesn't show that. I've not been living out my salvation. why the Bible says to work out your salvation, not because you have to earn it, but because we have to make daily decisions to choose to follow Christ. If that's you today, I received him a long time ago, but I want to come back to his grace. I want to come back to his mercy. If that's you, would you slip up your hand today? I want to pray with you in mind. Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? Today's your time to come back to the Father. Yep, I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you, God church, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me this prayer. Whether you've never prayed it before, you've prayed it thousands of times, would you repeat this prayer with me in faith? Would you say, dear God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sins. I turn away from those and I turn towards your gifts. Cleanse me Restore me. Give me back joy. A new life. A new identity. Through you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Keep your eyes closed, head bowed for just one more minute. We're going to praise God for those two people that came back to, to Christ. Came back and said, I'm running back to the Father today. But I also want to speak to those. You have a relationship with God. You know you've prayed that prayer. You believe it. And yet on a Tuesday, on a Friday, certain times in your day, that helmet needs to come on and it doesn't. And you've allowed doubt and discouragement to fill your head and say, I I don't know if I belong sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I've done too many wrong things and I I can't turn around. If you know you're saved, but you need to put on that helmet, you need help to solidify, remind yourself who you are in your identity in Christ, not in who you were in the past. If that's you today, you need prayer from discouragement, would you slip up your hand? See, I need to be reminded. Yep, I see hands all over this place. Yep, amen, yep, 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 yep. Let's pray together, church. God, we come against discouragement and doubt. That is not from you, God. That is from the enemy. And so I pray that we would put on the whole armor of God when we start our day, we would put on that helmet, knowing that just like Zacchaeus, Jesus, you're saying to us, salvation belongs to you today. And we can walk out in the confidence and the hope of our salvation. And that hope is not, I hope I make it. I think I'm going to. It's an assurance. It's a confidence because we know that we're putting our trust in an almighty, faithful God. I pray that you would solidify that confidence, that protection, that support, that identity that is in you, Jesus. We thank you for this today. We praise you and we bless you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we give God praise for those who are returning to the Father today? Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.